One thing I think every owner can learn from any sport in college is that when a college coach is recruiting top talent, they know at best that player's gonna be there for maybe five years. More likely if they're really good, they're gone in three. What if as employers, we started thinking that way? That's Joey Coleman, client experience expert and New York Times bestselling author. What if as employers, we started to say, if we get the best talent, we're not gonna be able to keep them for 20 years. However, we're gonna establish such a great relationship with them that as alumni, we're gonna be able to invite them back to recruit the next generation. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with Joey Coleman to discuss why effective onboarding goes beyond policies and paperwork, why prioritizing meaningful connections in all interactions is key to building successful relationships, and we discussed insights from his latest book, How to Never Lose an Employee Again, The Simple Path to Remarkable Retention. It doesn't have to be about the money. It can be something as simple as a small token of appreciation, a certificate, a handwritten thank you note, a voicemail, a video, any little thing that you can do that says, hey, I see you, I hear you, I value you, and I appreciate you is going to go a long way towards taking a general employee and turning them into a long-term adopter. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, I want to remind you that we aren't beholden to any sponsors or run any ads on this podcast. This allows us to present all of our episodes raw and unfiltered. I'm not going to push any made-to-order meal services on you or try to save you any money on your car insurance. That being said, I have one small request. If you receive any value from this podcast, please give it a five-star review. Pay the fee so we can keep this podcast free. Joey, welcome to the podcast. Michael, thank you so much for having me back. I'm super excited for our conversation. So when we first did this, this was one of the early episodes of the podcast. Now we fast forward a few years later. We've got new topic, new book. First time we talked about never lose a customer again. Now you've got the new book, never lose an employee again. And even before we started recording, I was telling you just how much I love the book. I got copies for our entire executive leadership team. To kick things off, what inspired you to write this book? Well, first of all, I so appreciate the kind words about the book. I had a lovely time writing it, and I'm so excited to feature the 50-plus case studies in the book. I've been doing customer experience for about 20 years now, and I was about five minutes into that career when I realized that you can't have a great customer experience unless you have great employees to deliver that experience. But I think the challenges in most organizations, customer experience and employee experience are very siloed activities. Usually customer experience is the purview of marketing and sales and maybe account support services, whereas employee experience has a tendency to sit over in a silo of HR, human resources, and very rarely do those conversations interact. And so when I thought about writing books, I was like, we need to address this issue, but it's probably best served if it's in a separate book as opposed to 
in a giant book because then we'd have a 5,000 page long book trying to talk about customer and employee experience. And I know there's a lot of data throughout the book that you base a lot of these insights off of. One that I found particularly interesting was just that a substantial number of new hires quit within the first year with a significant percentage leaving within the first 100 days. What are some of the potential reasons for these early departures and then how can organizations address them? Well, you're right, Michael. It's a huge pandemic that is facing every business on the planet, and most businesses aren't really tracking the speed at which people leave. And that was one of the things that was most interesting to me. When someone leaves, there's any number of reasons why they might say they're leaving. But when they leave quickly, that seems to indicate that something went wrong fast. And what that usually is, is that most businesses are focused on orientation instead of onboarding. Orientation is things like this is when you need to be at work and this is where we have lunch and this is where the bathrooms are. And by the way, if there's a fire, here's the alarm. Interestingly enough, those are the same kind of things you would learn if you went on a cruise, right? They're going to tell you, here's where you get your food. Here's the bathrooms. Here's what we do in case of a fire. That's not onboarding. Onboarding is a more methodological approach. It's a more systemic approach that says, what can we do to make someone feel like they're part of the team, that they understand that they're part of something bigger than themselves. Is there something about this, that first year mark? Because you almost look at it as a tour of duty these days. It's rare that you come across people that say, I'm going to retire from this organization. I'm going to be there forever. It used to be, I think decades ago, this was much more the norm versus now they hit the one year mark, 364 days on the 365th or somewhere else. Absolutely. I mean, I think part of it is because frankly, the way business is treated, folks. I mean, when our parents were working for places, you're right, it was the 20, 30 year, get the gold watch, retire, here's the pension. As organizations moved to be a little more transactional with their employees, what we've seen in the last three years is employees have caught up with that trend and have started to say, well, wait a second, if you're not interested in a long-term relationship with me, I better be looking out for myself and moving forward. I think everybody kind of grew up with that philosophy of, well, you don't want to see too much jumping around on a resume. Now it's the case that if you are too long at any one organization, many employers are looking at that saying, well, how stagnant are you? How set in your ways are you? We do things differently than that other place did. And so we're kind of reaching an interesting point in the evolution of the workplace where employees are just as aware of the need to be adopting new skills and gathering new skills and acquiring new skills as employers are. And that's creating a, how should we say, challenging confluence of perspectives for both employers and employees. It's an interesting dynamic. I know you referenced throughout the book of employees essentially saying that you don't care about me as much as you care about the business. And then employers saying that you don't care as much about the business as I do. That's very true. And what's interesting is I empathize. As a fellow business owner, I get that we want our people to really care about the business. But I think what the secret is employees want their employers to care as much about them as they do about the organization and the business. And I think most employers, in my experience, really do care, but they skew a little bit more towards the tell of show and tell than the show, right? We're all familiar with this concept of kindergarten going to class and doing show and tell. Well, we should lead with show, not tell. And I think a lot of organizations and leaders will talk about how much they care about their people. But then they'll do things that just seem completely antithetical to that philosophy. Oh, we really care about you a lot. And work-life balance is totally important. But wait, you're asking for a vacation? Sorry, you're going to need to ask four months in advance. Oh, you want a day off? What's your reason? We're not really living what we claim to be living in our core value statements and our employee benefit descriptions. 
if possible, I'd love for you to give just a high level overview of the different phases. I think there's eight phases. They all start with A of the employee experience. You do an amazing job of this. It's almost like, I think it was Jim Quick who talks about memorizing concepts. And I don't know if you took a page from that, but just every time I read eight tools, eight resources, they all start with the same letter. It's very easy to remember if you could speak to some of those. Well, I appreciate that, Michael. Yeah, Jim's an absolute rock star when it comes to learning and memorizing things. The reason all of them start with A is because I want employers to kind of think that if you get each of these phases right, it's like getting straight A's on your report card. Your employees are feeling that you're firing on all cylinders and you're delivering across the entire experience. So we start with phase one, the assess phase. This is when a prospective employee is trying to decide whether or not they want to come work for you. They're looking at your job description, your one ad, your classified ad. They're getting a feel for the position and role. They're probably going on the careers page or the about us page on your website to get a feel for, well, what kind of people do you employ and what's the culture like in your organization? In this day and age, they're probably checking to see if they know anyone on LinkedIn that already works at your organization that they can get some inside scoop about. And then they're going through your hiring process, whether that's submitting an application, submitting a resume, filling out a form, letting you know that they're interested in the position, and then going through whatever your hiring process is as far as submitting videos, submitting portfolios, doing interviews, all of the things that are leading up to a decision on whether or not they're the right fit for your organization, which brings us to phase two, the accept phase. In the accept phase, two interesting things happen. The employer says, this is the person I want, and they extend an offer. And if we're lucky, that candidate accepts the offer. They transition from being a prospective employee to being an actual employee. We then come to phase three, Michael, which this is a phase that most business owners, to be frank, don't spend any time thinking about. We've all probably heard of the concept buyer's remorse. Phase three in an employee context, the affirm phase, is new hire's remorse. The scientifically proven fact that immediately after accepting a job offer, a new employee begins to doubt the decision they just made. It literally happens in the seconds after they sign their offer letter. Why is this? Well, a couple of things happen. Number one, the dopamine release that comes with getting the offer, that excitement, that joy, that euphoria starts to fade along with the dopamine receding from the brain. And now they feel fear and doubt and uncertainty about the choice they just made. Should I have negotiated for a better deal? They said this is all they could offer and this are the usual benefits, but if I would have pushed more, could I have gotten more? It's also the case that top talent is probably interviewing at a lot of different places at the same time. And so when they accept your job offer, there are probably outstanding interviews they've done that haven't resulted in an offer yet. And they're wondering, well, if I wait a little longer, is that the one that would have been the better thing? And so that fear and doubt and uncertainty that they're feeling is usually matched by what from the employer? Oh, that'd be very little communication. We've said, hey, we've got the job offer. Great. We want you to start three weeks from now on Wednesday. There's no other communication happening. So in that affirm stage, we need to affirm their choice to work with us. We then come to phase four, the activate stage. Now, this is the first official day on the job when they show up for work. And the secret here is to keep in mind the immortal words of country music legend Bonnie Raitt. Give them something to talk about. What are you going to do to create an experience that is so remarkable that when they get home that night after their first day at work, whether that's to a spouse, their kids, their significant other, their parents, a roommate, when that loved one asks them, how was it? What was the first day like? You want them to have stories to tell. You want them to have things that they're excited about. What's fascinating is 
74% of employees say that their experience on the first day determines whether they will stay for a month or not. 74% and it all boils down to that one day. We then come to phase five, the acclimate phase. Now, what's interesting, Michael, in the acclimate phase is this starts with the second day on the job and lasts for weeks, even months, depending on the role and the position. In almost every organization on the planet, there's someone who's responsible for the first day on the job. When I go to those same organizations and I say, great, who's responsible for the second day on the job? It's like cue the crickets. No one's responsible for that. So what are you doing to help acclimate those folks to this new role, their responsibilities, the relationships they're going to have in the organization? And how are we building that over time instead of trying to fire hose them all in the first day? After they acclimate, ideally we come to phase six, accomplish, where the employee achieves the goal they had when they originally decided to work for you. See, every employee has a vision of what they're hoping to accomplish. But as employers, are we tracking that? Are we paying attention to that? Are we marking their progress and calling out the milestones that they achieve? Probably not as much as we could. We then come to phase seven, the adopt phase. This is when the employee becomes loyal to you and only you. Most people listening to this podcast or watching this show will realize that they have some employees that are adopters. They're loyal. They're committed. What have you done to tell them that you recognize their commitment? What have you done to show them the appreciation for their loyalty and commitment? It's not enough to just keep paying their check. And last but not least, we finally come to phase eight, the advocate phase. Right? This is when the employee becomes a raving fan singing your praises far and wide. Few key things to look at in the advocate phase. Number one, how many of your employees are unprompted going on and writing reviews on Glassdoor? Are they writing them because they're excited or are they writing them because you asked them to write them? Number two, how many of your employees are referring new people to you? Lots of times when I work with my consulting clients, they'll say, oh, Joe, our employees are all advocates. I'm like, great. Let's look at the last time you had an open position. How many of the candidates you interviewed came from internal referrals versus your marketing and promotion efforts? Cue tumbleweed again. They're like, oh, well, only one or two, but that's maybe because, well, it's probably because you actually don't have advocates or the advocate didn't even know you were hiring. A huge percentage of employees say they don't even know what positions their employer is currently hiring for. This is low-hanging fruit for any organization. The last thing I'll say when it comes to advocates is advocates aren't just limited to your W-2 employees. Advocates can be anyone who ever worked for your organization. And the best thing you can do as an employer is to make your offboarding when an employee leaves as remarkable as the onboarding was when they came in. So many employers, it's like, oh, you're leaving? Let me throw a match and burn that bridge. You're dead to me. I never want to talk to you again. And it's like, why not have that person as an advocate in the marketplace? who when asked, hey, where's a great place to work? Or I'm thinking about applying at this place. They go, oh my gosh, that was the best place I ever worked. They're amazing there. You should totally apply. If we get these eight phases right, we get increased productivity, increased engagement, and the type of retention that most employers are looking for. And I appreciate especially that last part because that was going to be my next question, just building the case for doing this because I imagine there's going to be a lot of people who listen to this and they say, wow, that sounds like a lot. I don't even know where to get started. It's going to require a lot of time. This might require a lot of money. What would you say to that? It's definitely going to require attention and effort. Time depends on how deep you want to go. Money, don't get caught up in that because a lot of this stuff you can do for less than $100. 
It's more about you making the concerted decision as the employer that I want to create remarkable experiences for my people. It's never about the money you spend on them. It's about the emotions they feel when they interact with you. So what are we doing to create that connection? And don't just take my word for it. Research that was commissioned by Glassdoor shows that employees who have a strong onboarding experience, so we get that first 100 days right and they feel connected to the organization, it's an 80% increase in productivity and a 70% increase in retention. I don't know about you, Michael, but I don't want to just be the guy who's like, oh, love on your people, treat your employees well. That's great. But the CFO, the bean counter in your office is saying, well, show me the money. It leads to less money being spent on hiring new people. Because to me, the, one of the most shocking statistics in the book is the cost of hiring a new employee is somewhere between 100 and 300% of that employee's annual salary. This is real money. This isn't just like, oh, it's all about emotions and feelings. Yes, that's part of it, but it's about your bottom line as well. Yeah, and I think with that specific statistic, that doesn't even include the cost of replacing them, training, onboarding somebody new, transferring that knowledge. Absolutely. So there's all of this cost that I think many employers just don't even see. So it just pays to do it the right way. And I want to dig into some of the phases that you mentioned, particularly around just the early phase, right? When we talk about recruitment and attracting top talent, what are some of the strategies that you've seen exceptional organizations do, particularly with job postings? Yeah. So my favorite thing to do in job postings is to figure out a way to bring forward the experience of what it's going to be like to work there. So many job postings, if I were to go to the typical company's website or their Indeed or LinkedIn page where they have their job listing, and I was to pull that, and I was to erase their logo and name and replace it with any of their competitors, no one would be able to tell the difference. So the first thing we need to do is make our job postings about our organization and really let our brand spirit shine through. Now, that doesn't mean you go on and on about who you are as a company. What you should do is go on and on about what it's like to be an employee. Have quotes from existing employees. Have testimonials from people who are currently in the job you're looking for. Real names, real people talking about their experience. Some of the most innovative companies I've seen are doing things like creating a page on their website where for every position, they have videos and testimonials from people in that current role talking about what a day in the life looks like. Imagine applying for a job and going, gosh, I wonder what it would be like to be an account manager at Acme Corp. And you go to the Acme Corp careers page and you can see interviews with their 10 current account managers talking about how great it is to work there, what they love about their job, what they love about their boss, what they love about their career and their path forward. Now you're having a completely different conversation. There's a KPI or key performance indicator you mentioned tracking tears of joy that I found was intriguing. How can employers measure the emotional impact of their onboarding process and even just ensuring that people are having a great experience? How do you measure that? How do you track that? Yeah, so the Tears for Joy KPI comes from the amazing folks at Tribute. They have a software or a program that allows you to upload little video snippets, and then they combine these in a montage video to send to someone for their birthday, their anniversary, a graduation, something like that. Which, by the way, as an aside, that's a tool you could be using in your business for all of your employees. Oh, I don't know, birthdays, anniversaries, graduations, things like that. What they do is, as part of their reference check process, they will go to the employee and they'll say, great, we loved your interview. We love what we've learned about you. The next step in our process is just to check some references. But because we're a video company, what we'd like to do is send you a link 
And we'd like you to share that with not only a former boss, but any coworkers, roommates, friends, anybody who you think could speak to your ability to do this job. Now, we all know, Michael, anybody who's done hiring, that the references check part of the hiring process is usually kind of a wink and a nudge that we all know it's about to get ridiculous. You picked three or four people that you really like who are surely going to say nice things about you. And they're going to do it in a weird way, especially if they're a former employer, because it's like, well, I can confirm that they used to work here, but nothing more than that. It's just an archaic, useless approach. This approach is a tech forward, more emotional, more connective approach. And so they gather all the videos. But then what they do with the video, I think, is particularly unique. When they decide to make that candidate an offer, they send them a video and it's the CEO of Tribute, Andrew Horn, saying, hey, loved interviewing you, really enjoyed getting to know you. We'd love to extend an offer to you to become our new head of marketing. And I need to tell you, part of the reason we decided to do that is because so many people thought you'd be a great fit for this role. I'd love to share some feedback from some of those folks that thought this. And then the video segues to all of the videos that were submitted as testimonials as references for this person. And so the person who's getting the job offer is now seeing all their former bosses, coworkers, friends, family, everyone that they sent this link to saying on video how much they care about this person, saying on this video, maybe things that they've never said before to them, but we're happy to say as a reference, this is where the tears of joy comes from. 82% of the people that watch this video cry tears of joy. And I don't know about you, Michael, but I think there's very few folks that are tracking the emotional response of their offer letter, or in this case, offer video, let alone setting it as a KPI that they're striving to achieve. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, our goal is always that when we extend an offer to someone, that they are clicking their heels and their boots like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. And there's an example you give in the book. I know this is near and dear to you. And it was what Notre Dame does in particular. I had to ask you about this because what I was reading about, it, I was like, this is amazing. It seems like a lot of energy and effort just that's put into this, but now it's almost become tradition. It really has. And thanks for giving me a chance to talk about Notre Dame because as a rabid Notre Dame fan and graduate of the university, I love talking about Notre Dame whenever I get the chance. And Anybody who's listening and is like, wait a second, Notre Dame, I can't stand Notre Dame. Just pretend that I'm talking about your favorite team and this will all feel okay to you. So Notre Dame does a number of things to focus on recruiting and particularly in the area of let's talk about their football team. They have a new coach, Marcus Freeman, who when he was interviewed right after getting the job, they said, what do you think the most important aspect of this job? And he paraphrased on that old adage from real estate where they say location, location, location. And he said, recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. Notre Dame has gone on a tear with thinking strategically about their recruiting. They have a pot of gold day, which is on St. Patrick's Day, where they announce all the new players they've made offers to. I mean, it's convenient being Notre Dame and the Fighting Irish that they have an annual holiday to celebrate it in St. Patrick's Day. But they make a big production. They're promoting videos. They're sharing people's information on social media. They create fanfare around the candidate. And they draw a lot of attention to the candidate, not to the school, not to the program, although by default that happens, but instead they put the spotlight on the candidate. And one of the things they do that is particularly remarkable is when they send the official offer letter. So the offer letter arrives in the mail. And we know this because we've seen video from recipients posting about this on TikTok and Twitter and all their social media fields. When they open the package, the cover of the package looks like the cover 
of the program guides that Notre Dame sells at the stadium on football Saturdays. So if you've ever been to a Notre Dame game, you know the style of the cover, you know this artist, and you immediately see the connection. And by the way, most of the candidates that are trying to play for Notre Dame, they've been to games, they've seen these guides. So they're seeing a custom portrait of themselves done in this style. Then when they open the package, it's a 3D pop-up, like those pop-up books you got when you were a kid, and you open it up and it's the skyline of the campus. It's got all the golden dome and touchdown Jesus and all these iconic landmarks. It's got a road and along the road in the pop-up is national championship trophies, Heisman trophies, the golden helmets, the fighting leprechaun. It's got the embossed letter. And then they pull out a little side hidden pocket that shows the player wearing the Notre Dame uniform that ideally we're creating the vision of what it will be like when they accept the offer. I'm not saying that every job should create a pop-up offer letter, right? Or should pick a holiday to feature their people. What I am saying is when your offer letter feels like a memo written by a lawyer, instead of an invitation to the next level of their life or the next chapter of their life, there's an opportunity for improvement. And I know we've got a lot of lawyers listening. I'm a recovering lawyer. This isn't me bagging on attorneys. This is me saying, we can make our invitation to join our organization feel more exciting, feel more substantial, feel more significant if we want to get people to say, that's where I want to work. And at the risk of turning this podcast into a whole discussion on college football, because I, I could go there too, <laughs> you can pull away so many insights from that. And there's so many parallels between college recruiting and ultimately growing a successful organization. And I say this as a UGA alum. It really does come down to recruiting. The best coaches tend to be the best recruiters. And it really doesn't matter so much. I mean, of course, it's important your facilities. And of course, it's important the game plan that you have. But perhaps the most important factor is the players that you can get onto your team and the people that you can get into your organization. And really, when you think about it, if you could get the best people into every single role in your organization, if you just have the best ones in the country as your intake coordinator, as your practice manager, as your paralegal, you got the best trial lawyers, you're done. That's it. You win. Game over. 100%. And not only do you win game after game after game, but you start to build a bench of talent that you become a perennial powerhouse. This is something I'll give a lot of credit to UGA. They come out of the blocks. They're building in a program where they're going up against Nick Saban in Alabama. So they're tough. But Kirby Smart is living up to his name. I mean, he's being incredibly intelligent about how he does this. And now where do the top players in the country want to play? University of Georgia. Alabama, Notre Dame, USC, some of these great schools that have amazing reputations that are built on recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. Last thing I'll say on this, because some of the folks listening may say, Joey, I'm not a football coach, that's not my thing. One thing I think every owner can learn from college football or college basketball or college soccer or any sport in college is that when a college coach is recruiting top talent, they know at best that player's gonna be there for maybe five years, maybe six. More likely, if they're really good, they're gone in three. What if as employers, we started thinking that way? What if as employers, we started to say, if we get the best talent, we're not gonna be able to keep them for 20 years. However, we're gonna establish such a great relationship with them that as alumni, we're gonna be able to invite them back to recruit the next generation. This is what college programs do all the time. They bring back players from the NFL and the NBA and Major League Soccer to come to their recruiting events for the young people they're trying to bring on board. You can do the same thing in your law firm or in your corporation. Yeah. 
I was just going to say, so much of the recruiting support comes from past alumni. And you see this where you see players in the NFL talk about their alma mater and what a great experience they had there. And then they'll go on social media. Here's the thing. You start to realize that great people really have a lot of options. They can go anywhere. Let's say for the law firms that are listening, they want great trial lawyers. Great trial lawyers could really go to any law firm. They would love to have them. So why would they be attracted specifically to your law firm? And what kind of energy and effort are you putting in to recruit's an interesting word. I like attract because so much of it is just in the marketing and the sales of getting those types of people interested in your organization, defining the values of that organization. It's difficult to stand out. You've got a ton of competition. I mean, it really is like college football. It really is. It really is. And when you think about college football, what are we talking about? We're recruiting a small group of people, a couple hundred players for very specific roles that they're going to need to perform at or else we lose. The parallel to your business is very clear. You're recruiting for a small number of roles and you need people that are going to be able to come in and contribute. You need to be building people that are coming in behind your leaders right now to build for who's going to be our leader three years from now, five years from now. And thinking more strategically and more long term is going to be in your firm's best interest. And the last thing I'll say that we'll move on from college football, it is the <laughs> adage, because we see this at Georgia all the time. You see a player that declares early into the draft and they'll say, next man up. And it's just because they have a bench of players that are ready a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. And that's how these organizations remain really strong dynasties year over year. On that note, I know you mentioned that the Bonnie Raitt famous song, give them something to talk about. And especially the importance of that first day. What are some ways to create a memorable experience on an employee's first day? Well, the first thing I'll say, Michael, is let's have somebody there to welcome them on their first day. So many people show up for, I had this experience. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where I showed up for a job one time. I show up, I get to the reception desk and I'm like, I'm Joey Coleman. I'm here. It's my first day at work. And they're like, sorry, I didn't know you were starting today. What department are you in? And I tell them and they're like, well, who's your boss going to be? And I'm like, I actually don't know. I didn't interview with my boss. I'm being assigned a boss here. I don't know. I'm supposed to, oh, let me see. I sit, I wait. I'm like, oh my gosh, they don't even care. Find out they're like, oh, sorry, your boss is out on vacation. So we've got another person in that department will come meet with you. But hang on, here's someone from HR who's going to take you to a room. And we come into the room and it's like, here's a giant binder of our corporate policies. Here's a bunch of paperwork for you to fill out about your health insurance and about our 401k plan. And by the way, make elections and choices for that before you even know what the plan is. And then we're going to have you watch some videos about sexual harassment that were filmed in the 70s and haven't been updated since then. But we were legally required to do this. Sorry. And then we're we're going to send somebody back to have lunch with you. And it's not going to be your boss because remember your boss is on vacation, but we're going to bring two other workers from your department who've known each other for years, but they don't know you. So they're going to end up having a really clicky conversation, but they got a free meal out of it. So they're happy to go to lunch and then afterwards come back to the conference room because guess what? We actually don't have your desk set up. Your computer isn't here yet. and The phone isn't ready, but don't worry. We're really excited to have you here. Why don't you leave early and come back tomorrow? Here's the crazy thing about that hypothetical. And the reason I share it, almost everybody listening has worked at that employer. And some of you are saying, God, Joey, you work for the same place I did. No, this is pervasive across organizations globally. What if instead you did what they do at a company called Jam? Jam is a Canadian company that runs sports leagues. I know it's another sport example, but hang with me, friends. They have a corporate role as well. And what they do is they run your corporate kickball team or your softball team, and they create those leagues. They also do virtual cultural building activities. So if you want to have a game night or you want to have a trivia night or a happy hour, they'll host and facilitate that. Jam does something really interesting for employees on their first day. The employee pulls into the parking lot and they're met at their car by their manager. 
who's already outside and sees the car pulls up and knows that that's the car that is not the car that's usually in this parking lot. And they come right up to you. They greet you and they walk you in the front door. And as they open the door and you walk into the building, they start playing your walk-on music. What? Walk-on music? Yes, as part of the interview process, they interview you and they ask, what's your walk-on music? And so they start playing your favorite jams. The speakers are pumping. You're feeling excited and you round a corner and there is a tunnel of humans. And it's their high five tunnel. And as you walk through this tunnel, you're high fiving all of your new coworkers and you're feeling pumped. You're feeling excited. And you turn the corner and you go into the conference room where not only do all the people from the high five tunnel file in behind you, but on the screens in the conference room are all the employees who work remotely or who aren't there that day, who've decided to join in the celebration. And then they have a series of bantering questions where they ask you things like, what are you binge watching on Netflix right now? Or what's the craziest thing you've done in the last two months? And they try to have your spirit come out while they also share their spirit. And at the end of this, you're presented with your rookie hoodie, the hoodie that you will wear that has the logo of the company on it and your name at all of the new employee welcoming type of things that are going to happen in the next year. And then what you also realize at that point is you're looking around is folks are wearing hockey sweaters, basically jerseys from their hockey team that have their name on the back and the year they joined the firm. And that's what you get on the one year anniversary of your employment. You transition from the rookie hoodie to the hockey sweater. The reason I share this story is because that's certainly something you're going to talk about when you get home that night. You've had an emotional experience, but they're also laying the groundwork for you've just become part of a new team. And we want you to feel welcomed as a team member. Now, again, some people might be listening, Joey, that feels like another sports example. What's interesting is I'm a big believer of thinking about the people who you work with as your team, not your employees. No one wakes up in the morning and says, I'm excited to be an employee. Frankly, no one wakes up and says, I'm excited to be an employer, okay? But what people do get excited about is being part of a team, being part of something bigger than themselves. And the way we think about that first day on the job, you can create a feeling of team by shamelessly stealing from things that teams do to build cohesion, to build connection, to build collaboration. Aren't these all the things we want our employees to experience? I certainly think so. Yeah. When you hear it like that, for the people that are listening to this podcast, imagine that your competitor is doing this stuff. What a competitive advantage. If you start putting some of these pieces in place, I know that's just one example and you can get creative on your own and come up with different ways to really have a great first day. But like you said, those are going to be the things that people talk about with their spouse, their significant other, their parents and so on. And then that level of engagement right out of the gate is so important. There's also another concept you talk about that Every employee has coworkers, but not every employee has colleagues. How do you distinguish the two? Yeah, I think a lot of folks use the concept of coworker and colleague interchangeably. I like to think of them as two very distinct types of relationships. A coworker is someone who works for the same organization. They get a check from the same company. So they may be a coworker in an office space. They may be a coworker remotely. It's just someone else who, when they say, who do you work for, answers the same way you do. A colleague is a friend. A colleague is someone who, when you come in on Monday, doesn't say, what'd you do this weekend? They say, how did the game go? How did the recital go? How's that lawn looking? Because they know what you were planning to do for that weekend, because they talked to you about it last Friday. It's really easy to quit coworkers. 
it's very hard to quit colleagues. It's very hard to give your notice when you have a bunch of colleagues. And the research actually shows that especially if you're looking to hire female employees or employees who come from more diverse backgrounds, that this feeling of belonging and this feeling of collegiality that we have from colleagues is intrinsic in getting them to accept a job offer and to stay at an organization. If you have a great friend at work, if you answer that question, do you have a friend at work? In the affirmative, statistics show you are more productive, you are more effective in your job, you're more efficient, and you're going to stay longer. I get that a lot of employers are like, Joey, for years we've said we don't want any fraternization amongst the employees. I get it. And there are legal things that you want to pay attention to. But we frankly swung the pendulum way too far. And what we should be doing is trying to figure out ways to foster friendship and connection between our colleagues. To elaborate on that, I know you give some examples in the book about different types of mentorship programs, of being able to just really connect people right out of the gate. One of the ones I loved is that idea of having a buddy at work and assigning a buddy at work. So there's a number of case studies we profile in the book, but I'll extrapolate this out to any employee and say even to your senior executives. One of the stories that I really loved getting the chance to tell in the book was about the Lego Corporation, right? I'm a big Lego fan. I've been a Lego fan since I was a little kid. And I got the chance to interview the head of people at Lego. And our conversation went so well that he was kind enough to introduce me to some other folks on the talent team at Lego. And he shared that even when they're hiring for an executive position, they assign a buddy at the point that the job is accepted. So if you're hiring for a new CFO, chances are pretty good that they're going to accept the offer, but it might not be three or four or five months before they show up for the first day on the job because top talent has to wrap up things at their existing place. They don't want to just burn the bridges there either. They've got responsibilities. So during this time, Lego is assigning an executive to do a weekly call with that executive-to-be to get them up to speed on what's going on, share things they're considering, they're working on, so that when that employee shows up for the first day on the job, they hit the ground running. They're ready to go. They understand what's happening. Now, I understand you may not have the resources in your firm or in your organization to assign somebody to do weekly calls, and maybe they're starting two weeks from now. But what would it be like if they felt like when they showed up for the first day at work, there was someone who already knew their name? someone they'd done a Zoom call with so they could see what that person looked like, somebody who would meet them at the car, who would show them the ropes, who could answer the questions that they wanted to ask, but they're afraid to ask. Things like, what should I wear on my first day? Where do we go for lunch? If I'm not sure of something or something's going wrong in the training I'm getting, who do I actually talk to about that? These are fears and concerns that every employee for every role in your organization is going to have. Who are they going to ask? Well, if you've partnered them with a buddy, somebody who's a culture ambassador, who represents your firm really well, who you already believe is the friendly, welcoming, extroverted person who's going to make them feel connected, they now know who to ask. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. There's another concept you talk about where it's interesting. We had this come up on a podcast. It was like a Q&A. Somebody had asked around employee appreciation and just showcasing your appreciation. And what's interesting is it's free. And most employers, I would even say myself included, struggle with doing it enough. We could always do more. And are there structured ways to be able to provide, let's say, employee acknowledgement, acknowledging their accomplishments or even small wins to reinforce an overall culture of appreciation? 
Absolutely. And I think you can create a culture of appreciation and you need to create a culture of appreciation if you want people to be engaged and if you want them to be retained. One of my favorite examples of this, because I know that CEOs, leaders, managing partners, you've probably got enough on your plate right now. You don't need Joey in a podcast saying, here are five more things you can do next week, right? Create a culture of this. So one of the companies I profile in the book is a web design firm called Yokoko. And what they did is something that any firm, any organization could do. They created this model where every month, every employee gets $50. And they can award that to any of their coworkers or colleagues in increments of $5 for a job well done. So, hey, thanks so much for helping me with that intake call. Thanks so much for referring me to that right case that I needed that was the answer to the problem I was working on. It's a small thing. It's a small amount of money. But when you start to have proof on a regular basis that you matter, the game changes. I have yet to meet a human being on the planet, Michael, who has said to me, I'm all good. I've gotten all the praise I ever need. I never have any self-doubt. I'm fully confident in everything I do. Every human being wants to feel seen, wants to feel heard, and wants to feel appreciated. When you build in regular ways for team members to acknowledge each other, for you to acknowledge them as a leader, as a manager, it changes the conversation. And again, it doesn't have to be about the money. It can be something as simple as a small token of appreciation, a certificate, a handwritten thank you note, a voicemail, a video, any little thing that you can do that says, hey, I see you. I hear you, I value you, and I appreciate you is going to go a long way towards taking a general employee and turning them into a long-term adopter. Yeah. In fact, as you were mentioning this, so there is a good app for this. We've used this for a number of years. We don't get any kickback for me stating what it is. It's a company called Bonusly. I don't know if you've heard of it. Bonusly, I do. Our team members, they get 100 points every single month, and then they can distribute those points. When you're distributing points, we tag it with a core value. So it's how a team member exhibited a core value. You could give somebody five points, you can give somebody 50 points, 100 points, and then you redeem it essentially in this online store for gifts of your choice. So anyway, it's a platform that we've used for a number of years. It's called Bonusly if anybody wants to listen to it. There's all sorts of other platforms out there as well. There was something that was coming up through the book that I was the first time I'd heard this, although it does make sense, which is the boomerang employees, which is, it seems to be a more common type of situation that's arising in that you see employees that used to work for organizations returning to those organizations, which didn't happen as much in the past, but now in the last few years, it seems to be much more common. Absolutely. And I think this is a huge opportunity for employers everywhere. You're going to have employees that for whatever reason leave. Often those are for things that are beyond our control. Their spouse or significant other gets a promotion or a job in another city and you don't have an office in that city and you don't allow remote work. So now they leave or they have a parent that gets ill and they need to move to be closer to that parent to take care of them or a child or some situation happens that's well beyond your control. This is why, as I was saying earlier, it's so important to maintain those alumni connections because if they were great when they worked for you the first time, don't you think they'll be even better the second time? They already know the ropes. They know the game. They know how it works. And they've acquired new skills and new perspective and new insight wherever they worked in that interim period. I love the idea of team members of mine going out, having great life experiences, maybe even different work experiences, and then bringing those learnings back to the fold. 
And if you have a culture of a gratitude and a culture of appreciation and a culture of innovation that is accepting of those boomerang employees, now you are able to advance and accelerate in ways that you'll never be able to do it just with your in-house team. Let's say someone's listening to this. They're convinced. They go online, order the book, which I absolutely encourage. But even uh, whether they do or whether they don't, they want to get started today. What would you say is the first thing they can do? One of the things I love about you, Michael, and about the whole team here at Crisp is how much you love video and the power of video. So I'm going to throw a gauntlet down video challenge that I promise will take less than two minutes, will dramatically change your approach and your philosophy on employee experience, and will impact one of your team members in a way that I'd posit they probably have never been impacted at work. So here's the challenge. I want you to take out your phone. Everybody's got their phone either in their pocket or their purse or on their table. Take out the phone, open the camera, switch it to video and flip it to selfie mode. And I want you to shoot a selfie wherever you are. You're in the car listening to this, you're exercising, you're doing the dishes, whatever it is, just when you, as soon as you're done, don't worry about the video settings. Don't worry about the lighting and the sound. Okay, worry about that for other videos you create, but not for this one, okay? And here's how the video goes. In this video for the hypothetical I'm going to share, I'm going to pretend that Michael is one of my employees and I'm sending this video to him. I want you to think of the employee that you value the most. Now, I know that's maybe an unfair question to ask. And you're like, but Joey, I love them all equally. No, it's like your kids. You have a favorite. Okay. Just acknowledge it just yourself for this one little hypothetical exercise. I want you to think of the employee that you value the most. And I want you to shoot him a video that goes something like this in selfie mode. Hey, Michael, just wanted to shoot a little video for you. I was listening to the Game Changing Attorney podcast. It's this crazy fun podcast I listened to. And they had this weird guest, Joey Coleman, on. And he asked us to think of our favorite team member, our favorite employee. And I got to confess, I immediately thought of you. I love the way you show up for our team. I love how thoughtful you are, how prepared you are. You come to every conversation, not only with your own thoughts, but with other questions. You're constantly looking to improve our game. You're constantly looking to make things better. You've got a heart of gold. You show up and you roll up your sleeves and help. The other day we were having this project and it was clear that some of the other team members hadn't done their part and you jumped right in and you jumped in without judgment. You jumped in to help with grace. We couldn't do it without you. And I know I should say it more, and I know I should acknowledge and award you more than I do. But in this moment, I just wanted to let you know, you mean the world to me. I'm so thankful that you're part of our team. Thank you. And then send the video. Here's the trick, friends. Don't watch the video. Don't listen to it again, because here's what's going to happen. You're going to watch the video and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I stumbled on those words. Or, oh, the lighting wasn't good. Or, I can't believe I was wearing that shirt when I filmed this. No, no, no. Send the video. Why? Because number one, if you go back and rewatch it again, you'll never send it. You'll go to take two, take three, take five, and then you'll never do anything. Number two, when the recipient gets that video, they will know it was shot in the moment. They will also see that you're standing next to the dishwasher wearing a t-shirt and they'll go, wow, this is sincere. This is real. This was in the moment. And what you've just given them is a digital artifact that they matter. Humans in 2023 and beyond want proof that we matter. We're dying for proof that we matter. And you've just given them a video that not only are they going to watch, but I can almost guarantee they're going to show it to their significant other or their parents or their kids or their roommate or their loved ones. They're going to save that video. On days when they're having a tough go of it, they're going to watch that video again. In those moments where maybe you're not as gracious to them as you should be or as appreciative to them as they should be, they're going to be able to go back to that video and say, no, actually, 
he does care about me. She does care about me. This is a little thing you can do. And when you're done doing that video, guess what? You can film another one and another one. And you could do this every day for the next week or the next month or until you've sent a video to every team member. And then guess what? Send another one. Go back to that first person you sent the video to and send another video. You can't send too many of these if you're sending them from a place of, I want to make it clear how much you matter to me. Wow. Yeah. And it's free. And it's free. You already have the camera. And some of you are maybe saying, but Joey, I don't know my employee's cell phone numbers. Really? Okay. We have to have a separate conversation, right? Text them. Let them know. Here's the crazy thing I'll say about phones. We're living in an era right now where if you receive a text message with a video, it's most likely coming from a sibling, a parent, a child, your college roommate, somebody that's in your inner circle. They're in the saved numbers, the favorites, right? It's probably from one of those people. So many employers and law firms are notoriously guilty of this. Talk about the family. We're one big family here. Why aren't you using the mode of communication that right now is primarily used by close family members? That is sending videos, sending gifts or GIFs, depending on what part of the world you're from, sending little text messages, those type of communications with your people. You can be human and still be professional. You can be fun and still be a lawyer. These things are possible, I promise you. And when you do that, you start to change the way your people think about your firm. I love it. And Joe, as we come to a close, I know I asked you this a few years ago, but we close out every podcast with this. This being the Game Changing Attorney podcast, what does being a game changer mean to you? To me, being a game changer means a number of things, but one that I'll focus on is constantly being willing to say, how can we do this better? How can we think differently? How can we show our feelings differently? How can we interact with our clients, our employees, our colleagues, our coworkers, our families, our friends differently? If you want to change the rules of the game, if you want to play at the highest level, you have to be willing to look at what you're doing and say, how can I make it better? Not only how can we make it better and the firm make it better, but where are the areas where I can change the game in my own life that will make me show up in an even better way for the people I serve. I wanna give a huge thank you to Joey Coleman for taking the time to speak with us today. And I wanna thank you, yes you, for listening to this podcast and for your commitment to growing as a leader. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that I can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of my book absolutely free at gamechangingattorney.com. Number two, you can shoot me a text at 404-531-7691 and I'll answer any question that you've got for me. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it'll help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on our interview with Joey Coleman, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit gamechangingattorney.com. Oh, 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 o